First Corinthians chapter 13. You guys know you can probably answer this. You can fill this sentence out. First Corinthians chapter 13, the what chapter? The love chapter, right? Pretty much everybody knows that some of the most lofty language on one of the most soaring of subjects is right here. First Corinthians chapter 13 on this subject of love. How many people have ever been to a wedding? Hopefully you married people. Okay. If you've been to a wedding, you have probably heard these words sung or spoken. But if you've been with us, you know these words weren't written to a couple on their wedding day. These words were written to a church in chaos, to a church in conflict. Now, some of you know I've shared with you already this morning. This chapter is so lovely, so lofty, that it's difficult, really difficult to preach on. I've been struggling all week. Lord, please say what you want to say because I don't know what to do with this. Um, what, what I'm called to do, I believe, is to rightly divide the Word of God. Right? To cut it into bite-sized pieces so that we can digest it. Well, G. Campbell Morgan said this particular chapter, dividing this chapter is a little like dissecting a rose to discover its beauty. You can do it, but when you're done, you don't have a rose anymore. You don't have the beauty. So I come to this chapter in a certain amount of awe. And I would say if this chapter was only given to us for the sake of beauty, then we should not divide it. We should just read it through, let it stand, and move on. But the thing is, I believe this chapter is so much more than just beautiful. It's powerful if we'll apply it. It's life-changing if we really understand it. If we beg God to give us this kind of love. So, at the risk of dissecting the rose, here's an outline for chapter 13. Verses 1 through 3, we're going to see today the priority of love. The priority that love must take in all things. Verses 4 through 7, though, when we get there next Sunday, is a picture of love. See, love is... You can't really define it. You can try, but you'll come up miserably short. So only really a picture will do. So we'll see that next time. Verses 8 through 13 is the permanency of love. Those are the things we'll see in this chapter. The priority of love, the picture of love, and the permanency of love. Today, verses 1 through 3, we're going to look at the priority of love. Read with me, if you will, our text, which is verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've becoming sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Clearly, the point of the text today is the priority, the preeminence, the supremacy of love. Love is the priority. But then you have to say the priority over what? Well, it's the priority over all things, but what's the context that we've been talking about in these chapters? Chapters 12, 13, and 14, the context is spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you were to back up, you would see it's all about Paul talking about the spiritual gifts. He begins the, with verse 1, chapter 12, by saying, look, concerning spiritual things, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. He f uses that whole chapter. And then in 14, 
He talks about the rules, how to make sure that you don't use these gifts inappropriately. But in the middle is this chapter, verse 13, chapter 13. These verses almost look like, if, again, if you're not paying attention, they almost look like they were cut and pasted on a word program. Oh, okay. whoa. That was, why did they go there? These were, words were not written to a young couple in love. They were written to a church in chaos. Turn with me to chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or sorry, chapter 1, before we get to 13. If you've been with us, you know that this is a letter of correction. Paul is giving these guys a spiritual spanking, if you will, most of the time. Chapter 1, he says one of the very few things that he can say nice about these guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Those are spiritual gifts, by the way. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, pretty much one thing Paul could say, maybe the only thing he could say nice about them, was you guys come short in no gift. When it comes to spiritual gifts... You guys have got it down. There's nobody in your area or even close to your area who has the spiritual gifts at their disposal like you guys do. He says all utterance, all knowledge. He's talking about speaking in tongues, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, words of wisdom. See, the Spirit had manifest himself mightily in the church at Corinth. Verse 7, so that you come short in no gift. Now turn with me to chapter 12. I'm just trying to give you a sense of how gifted this church is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 8. Paul's talking to these guys. He says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, we're studying these gifts on Thursday nights. Last Thursday, we only got through two. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. You can get the tape. I don't want to bore you with, or not really bore you with, but I don't want to distract you with that because the, the issue here is, is something completely different. But let me say that the things he's talking about are good gifts, good spiritual gifts given to the body, to us, by a Father who loves you. And they're distributed by a gentle Holy Spirit who is a gentleman. And they are given, we've seen, and we are seeing, for the benefit of the whole body. Whenever, we've seen this a uh, couple times now, whenever the Holy Spirit bestows a gift upon someone, it's for the whole body to profit. But the problem was the Corinthians were immature. They were saying with their gifts, more or less, look at me. Look what I can do. Look, I can speak in tongues. Look, I'm more spiritual than you. And some apparently were becoming envious. And were saying, why don't I ever get a word of wisdom? Why don't I ever get uh, a word of knowledge? How come he gets to be the apostle? Why can't I have that job? That's why Paul writes at the end of chapter 12. Look at the end of chapter 12 with me. Verse 28. Paul says, and God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? 
Do you all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to all those questions is no, of course not. And we saw why last week. I'm trying to get you caught up a little bit here. Last week we saw why not everybody has the same gift. It's like we are a body. Paul says we are the body of Christ. And not every member in this body can be the hand. If you have 25 hands that make up the body, you're not going to get many dates. The, the long and short of it is this. They were gifted. They were so gifted spiritually. But they were so immature. They were so immature that they were actually starting to even ruin the use of these wonderful gifts that God had given them. Now, what's the solution? Is it to just give up the gifts altogether? To say, you know what, we're not going to talk about them. It's, you know, it's, I know it's in the Bible, but it's just too weird, too difficult Causes too much trouble. Is that the solution? No, look with me at chapter 12, verse 31. I promise we're getting close to chapter 13. Chapter 12, verse 31 says, But earnestly desire the best gifts. In other words, Paul says, Look, don't give up on these gifts. But then he says, And yet I show you a more excellent way. Paul says, Listen, the body of Christ needs these spiritual gifts. Paul says it's okay to desire a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, prophecy, a gift of teaching, gift of helps, whatever it is, for the profit of all. That's okay. Paul says, in fact, they're desperately needed. Let me back up and say, I'm not sure who I'm all I'm speaking to. I'm not sure where your where your bent is from, if you think that the gifts have ceased. But let me ask you this, if that's you. If there is no supernatural enabling, then why are we even here? What I mean is, I got news for you. If the church depends on my natural talents and abilities, we are in big trouble. If the church depends on your natural abilities and talents, we are in big trouble. Paul says, no, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And you guys know the very next verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. The more excellent way is love. Paul will say, look, when it comes to spiritual gifts, go for it. But unless they are used in love, they do more harm than good. That's what he's saying in our text today. Let's read it again. Verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He's talking about spiritual gift. But have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith. So that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Those are all, all the things he mentioned. Those are all spiritual gifts that he mentioned in chapter 12. Speak, speaking in tongues, right? He's, then he says uh, prophecy, understanding mysteries, word of, word of wisdom, understanding knowledge, word of knowledge. And then he says, though I have all faith. Faith is also a gift of the Spirit. These are all spiritual gifts mentioned in chapter 12. And then look, verse 3 Paul takes another step. Not only are the gifts given to me by God worthless without love, but verse 3 says, even the gifts that are given by me are worthless without love. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So clearly, the fruit of the Spirit, love, needs to take priority over the gifts of the Spirit. 
But make sure you understand, this is not an either-or proposition. Paul is not saying, look, forget about the gifts. Let's just go after love. If he was, then he's kind of wasting chapters 12 and 14. No, he's saying, pursue the gifts, but do that in love. Earnestly desire the best gifts, he says, but let love always be your priority. But then you get into, well, what kind of love is he talking about? I mean, I love my wife. I love my two boys. I also love a good steak. It's different. Most of you guys know there are several different Greek words for the word love. There's the word eros, which is where we get the word erotic. It's talking about sexual love. That word is actually not in the New Testament at all. There's the Greek word storge, which is family love. That's the kind of love there is between a parent and a child, between family members in general. It's a wonderful kind of love. Then there's philea. That's where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. Or philanthropist, that's one who loves his brother by giving him things. That's a brotherly love. That's a friendship. It's a really noble kind of love. But the word here, most of you know, is the word agape. This blows all of the other kinds of love out of the water. The word is means a supreme, self-sacrificing kind of love. This is the kind of love that must be our priority. This is the kind of love that Paul says, unless you have this, this supreme, self-sacrificing kind of love, those gifts are going to be worthless. David Guzik, he's a commentator, he said it pretty much better than I could, so I'm going to read what he says. It says, it is a love that loves without changing, this agape love. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. The word has little to do with emotion, he says. It has much to do with self-denial for the sake of another. Again, it's hard to define love. Probably the best picture that we have of love is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever might believe in him would have everlasting life. See, that's the kind of self-sacrificing love that Paul's talking about here. And I don't know if you've discovered, but this love is not natural. This love does not just come to me naturally. I don't wake up and go, I love everyone in a self-sacrificing way. This love is supernatural. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It was not natural for God to give up his only begotten son for my sake. It was not natural for Jesus to take the abuse that he took for me. It was supernatural. But it's this kind of love, agape love, that Paul says must be our priority. Look with me at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Again, on Thursdays, we're talking about these spiritual gifts. I'm not sure if we'll get there this Thursday, but soon we will get to the spiritual gift of tongues. Now, again, we could spend a lot of time being distracted with that. 
but I don't want to miss the message here. The context is this. Paul says, look, I could speak in a thousand different tongues that I've never studied. Paul says, what if I spoke French, German, Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, Swahili? What if I spoke ancient Greek that, that died out a thousand years ago? said, I could even speak in the language of angels. What does it mean without love? He says, if I do these things without love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, how many people have the New King James translation? That's what, that's what that says. Anybody have a different one? What does yours say? A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I think that's maybe a bit more accurate. Um, when we see sounding brass, I think of a trumpet. And that's not such a bad thing if it's played well. Maybe he's talking about like a fifth grade class. <laughs> but he's definitely talking about something that's not pleasurable, not good. The New Living Translation says, If I could speak all the language of the earth and angels, but I don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong. Or a clanging symbol. See, apparently there were Christians in Corinth who had received the gift of tongues and they were insisting that you weren't spiritual unless you had the gift of tongues. Apparently they were proud of themselves and saying, look at me, I can speak in tongues. Paul says, if I speak with tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a crashing gong. I'm a clanging symbol. Have you ever heard a gong? It's not something I want to be close to. If you've ever heard a gong and you've been really close to it, played really loudly, your teeth are probably still chattering in your head. It's loud. It's attention-getting, but it's not the most musical of instruments. Like, I was in band in high school, in college. I can tell you pretty much anybody can play a gong. I mean, like, okay, you stand right there, stand there for 45 minutes while the rest of the... Band plays. Then when I look at you, get ready, pick up the thing. And then when I point to you, hit that thing as hard as you can. And like, it was usually, in high school, it was usually a stoner. It was, you know, I was like, okay, cool, man. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Um, Paul says, look, if you're all into your gifts of tongues, you're like that gong. I mean, yeah, you're getting a lot of attention. But you're not contributing to the harmony much. Do you know neither gongs nor cymbals? They don't have a note. They don't have a melody. They can't contribute to the harmony. They're just loud, annoying crashes. Now, maybe you're saying, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't have that gift. Not so fast. <laughs> this is talking about gifts in general, and it's talking about our attitudes. If it's talking about the gift of tongues, couldn't it also be talking about what comes off of our tongues? I think there's an application here for everyone. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you speak Christianese very well. You're very fluent in Christianese. Paul says, look, without love, that's a noise. That's a gong. It's a symbol. Could it be that we are saying all the right words? But our actions or our attitudes sometimes shout louder than our Christian words. For instance, a guy cuts you off in traffic and you're like, 
God bless you, brother. I mean, you said the right words. But what was your attitude? I don't know about you, but given a choice, I would prefer to hear a cymbal or a gong from about 50 yards away. Ask any non-believer. He'll tell you the same thing. If you're a gong, a, a loud clanging cymbal, nobody wants to be near you. How in the world are they going to hear your message if you're a gong, a loud cymbal? I wrote in my notes here under this, what else can you say to this other than, Lord, give me love. Give me agape love. Look at me at verse 2. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Notice all the gifts there. Again, if you've been with us, you know these are things that you'll find in chapter 12 under the heading of gifts of the Spirit. Gift of prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith. All of those things. These are all gifts of the Spirit and they are all really good things. Paul says, though, without love, they're worthless. And again, not with just the brotherly kind of love, without agape, self-sacrificing love, they are worthless. One of the best things I heard this week listening to uh, some commentators on this was J. Vernon McGee says, if you count these, there are seven gifts of the Spirit listed in, chapter, in verses 1, 2, and 3. Actually, verses 1 and 2. Each one of those is a big zero. You line them up, you have seven zeros. What's that worth? Zero. It says, but if you put love, if you put a one in front of it, you go from zero to ten million. Love is the one. Love, agape love, is that number one. The fruit of the Spirit, love, gives value to the gifts of the Spirit. Let me back up and make sure you understand. There's a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, right? Gifts of the Spirit are things that the Lord gives you just because He loves you. The fruit of the Spirit is something that has to grow, that you have to sometimes prune, you have to get things out of the way for the fruit of the Spirit to come forth. The fruit of the Spirit gives value to the gifts of the Spirit. For instance, it, it talked right here in uh, verse uh, 2, it talks about having the faith to move mountains. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, look, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be gone into the sea, and it will obey you. Now, can you think of anybody who's done that? Nobody comes to my mind. And I'm wondering, maybe this is why. Without agape love, who can be trusted with this kind of power? I mean, if I don't have agape love and I can actually move a mountain wherever I want, I'd probably drop it on your head if you're making me mad. Without agape love, it's all nothing. It's all worthless. Again, you say, well, there's, there's no application here for me. I mean, I don't have the gift of prophecy. I don't recall the last time I pitched a mountain into the sea. Well, Paul, I believe here, is talking about also the gifts, the natural abilities of the intellect and of faith. Right? He's talking about knowledge uh, and prophecy. And then he talks about faith. Here's an application for you. Maybe you have a great intellect. 
Maybe it's not a spiritual gift in the supernatural sense, but it's a gift nonetheless. Maybe you've never lost a debate. When was the last time you won a soul? The gifts, no matter what, what they are, if they are without this agape love, they are worthless. Verse 3 says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now again, Paul says, look, not only are the gifts that I've received worth nothing if I don't attach them to love, but now he's saying, even the gifts I give are worth nothing without agape love. Read it again. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. That's a pretty noble thing. Anybody here done that? I haven't. You might think so looking at my car, but I haven't. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. The message here is that even sacrifice. How many times we we look at someone sacrificing and these are really big sacrifices. We look at someone sacrificing and say, oh, they must have this agape love. Even sacrifice can be done, apparently, without agape love. You know how? Even, remember that agape love is giving without ever expecting to receive, correct? Well, how many of you have ever had this attitude? Ever said to yourself, I give and I give and I give and I never even got a thank you. Well, that's not exactly agape love. You might have started out that way, but it sure didn't end that way. I give, I give, and I give, and I get nothing in return. Wait, wasn't that what you were in the bargain for? If it was agape love. Paul says, even the ultimate sacrifice can be done without agape love. And we look at that, and that almost seems hard to believe. It says, though I give my body to be burned. He's talking about martyrdom. Though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That doesn't even make sense to us until you start to think, well, there are some that have mistakenly believed that martyrdom is a free ticket to heaven. You get it, right? Sacrifice does not always equal love. There was a young man in Virginia Tech who sacrificed He gave his body to be burned. It profited him nothing. There are terrorists around the world that are convinced that what they call martyrdom will guarantee them heaven. There's no love in that sacrifice. It profits them nothing. This we know is that God's love God's gifts to us are nothing unless they are done in love. And it says, even verse 3, even our gifts to humanity, to our brother, are nothing unless they truly have agape love. So I don't know about you, but I've discovered I desperately need agape love. Well, what does it look like? What does agape love look like? We can't really define it. We're going to see more next week, but I can't leave This morning, without having at least you see a a brief picture, a portrait of love. Look with me at verse 4, verse 4 through 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or 13, excuse me, verse 4 through 7. This is a portrait of love. It says, love suffers long 
That means love is patient. And love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. That means it stands up under all things. Love believes all things. It means it believes the best in all people in all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And the beginning of verse 8 says, love never fails. Now let's do a little primer for next week. To see if you might need this thing called agape love. Go with me. I'm just going to leave a blank. Instead of the word love. Actually, let's, let's do this first. God is love, right? Let's put it in God's name. God suffers long, is patient, and is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade itself. God is not puffed up. God does not behave rudely. God does not seek his own. God is not provoked, thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. Now let's do another thing. Let me put in a space. You put in your name. Don't do it out loud. Just in your mind. See if you can put in your name. And, and uh, don't raise your hand when uh, the alarm bell goes off and says, Oh, that doesn't fit. Because it'll happen. Suffers long. And is kind. Does not envy. Does not parade himself or herself is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek his or her own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If you're like me, you read that and you try to put your name in there. Wow. If you're like me, the application is very clear today. If you've been with us, you know we have a time of of reflection and application. Um, I have some written down here that I may or may not use. Um, But the application overall is really simple. Again, if you're like me, no matter how talented you are or how um, good or bad life has treated you, we desperately need agape love. Not just brotherly love. Brotherly love is pretty noble. Agape love. There are so many people, and this is, this is my desire. The reason we're kind of camping out a little bit on these spiritual gifts, I believe, as we've seen, that the Lord wants to, to bring us together as a body. He wants to give us, he wants to use the spiritual gifts that are represented in this room. There are, there are hands here, there are elbows, there are different parts of the body that you guys don't even know, where do I fit in, what do I do? I don't want that to be that way anymore. But how fitting it is that before we start to focus too hardly on this is where I fit in, to remember that we're, these things are, we're pursuing for the profit of all. And for agape love's sake. So the application, I think, is to cry out 
that He would fill us with this love.